Well, please do be seated. And we're going to come to our time where we uh, read from God's Word. And Phil uh, Velocott will shortly come and explain that bit of the Bible to us that we're reading out. And our passage this morning is from Matthew chapter 27. We're starting from verse 57 to 28 verse, uh, verse 15. And Faye Mayo is going to read that passage out to us this morning. Thank you, Faye. Hello. We're going to read from Matthew 27 and verse 57. As evening approached, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who had himself become a disciple of Jesus. Going to Pilate, he asked for Jesus' body, and Pilate ordered that it be given to him. Joseph took the body, wrapped it in a clean linen cloth, and placed it in his own new tomb that he had cut out of the rock. He rolled a big stone in front of the entrance to the tomb and went away. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were sitting there opposite the tomb. The next day, the one after preparation day, the chief priests and the Pharisees went to Pilate. Sir, they said, we remember that while he was still alive, that deceiver said, after three days I will rise again. So give the order for the tomb to be made secure until the third day. Otherwise, his disciples may come and steal the body and tell the people that he has been raised from the dead. This last deception will be worse than the first. Take a guard, Pilate answered, Go make the tomb as secure as you know how. So they went and made the tomb secure by putting a seal on the stone and posting the guard. After the Sabbath at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the women, do not be afraid for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, he has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said to them. They came to him and clasped his feet and worshipped. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. While the women were on their way, some of the guards went into the city and reported to the chief priests everything that had happened. When the chief priests had met with the elders and devised a plan, they gave the soldiers a large sum of money, telling them, You are to say his disciples came during the night and stole him away while we were asleep. 
If this report gets to the governor, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So the soldiers took the money and did as they were instructed. And this story has been widely circulated among the Jews to this very day. Well, thank you so much, Faye, for reading that to us. Uh, If you could have your Bible open uh, in front of you, we're going to look at that passage now. It's really lovely to see everyone uh, here this morning and also uh, good to welcome everyone online. Today is the best day to be a Christian uh, because today we celebrate the wonderful news that Jesus rose physically from the grave and is alive again. And it's the greatest news that our world needs to hear today because, let's be honest, the past year has been quite brutal. We've lost a lot, haven't we? Freedoms, jobs, holidays. We've lost meeting people in person. We've lost a whole lot of time with school friends. Tragically, even some of us have lost loved ones. Another big loss has been stability. We've lost freedoms of making decisions that are not dependent on what the government says and what the government rules are. We've lost knowing the certainty of making plans and seeing them through. And whilst on the one hand, hand, there is some stability on the horizon, over half of us have had a vaccine and the pandemic seems to be on the wane in this country. On the other hand... The future is still massively uncertain, isn't it? It's been a brutal year. And that's why this passage that we're looking at this morning is so relevant to us, because this Easter story, what we have just read from God's Word, gives us real hope. Now, if you're watching um, online or, or you're here this morning for the first time, I want to just explain a little bit about what hope actually means in the Bible. Because hope in the Bible is not hope that we have in culture. Hope in in, in the Bible is not wishful thinking. It's not that feeling you get when you gamble, that feeling of wishing your lottery numbers will come up, or, or, or that the borders in Europe will open so that the holiday deposit that you've paid is not lost. That's our modern idea of hope. But that's just wanting things to go your way, isn't it? It's a throw of the dice, a toss of the coin. But Christian hope, whenever you see hope in the Bible, it's a word that describes a certainty based on fact. So Christian hope is the certainty that there is life after death based on the fact that Jesus rose physically from the dead and will come back again to this world. Christian hope is the absolute certainty, assurance, inescapable, that all who believe in Jesus will definitely have everlasting life. Now, you might be thinking, how can you possibly be that certain, particularly of death? Well, we're going to look at the answer to that question in three sections this morning. And you know, I pray, I really do, that in this uncertain world, we would look to the events of Easter and realize the certainty that we do have, the anchor of our lives that is ours. Because Jesus has risen from the dead. And that truth 
is real and concrete. So let's answer this question. How is it possible to have this hope? Well, firstly, we can have hope, true hope, when Jesus means a lot to us. We can have true hope when Jesus means a lot to us. I'm going to illustrate that with um, a, a couple of things in my life that really mean a lot to me. A, a, two of them, you're going to have to guess which they are. Um, so the first is, um, don't laugh, the first is jumpers. Now, uh, on the one hand, I've got this, this jumper, the brown, brown and orange, hopefully you can see it online. And on the other hand, you've got this jumper, which my boys affectionately call my preaching jumper, because um, for some reason I keep reaching into the drawer on a Sunday morning and pulling this one out, and I've been, I've been terrorizing everybody with that for many years. So I've got this scabby, scabby old jumper and, and this, this, this preaching jumper. Which would you say is most important to me? Uh, hands up uh, this one. Lovely. Hands up this one. Yes, well, you're right, you're right. It's a scabby old jumper. Uh, this means a lot to me. I'm going to be a bit sentimental. This means a lot to me because uh, this was my dad's jumper. And as I got into my car to go to university, uh, he said, hang on, Phil, ran upstairs, grabbed it from his drawer and gave it to me and said, look, uh, I know you love this. Uh, take it, take it. Isn't that sweet? Yeah, that's my dad. And he's not very sentimental either. So for him to give me this meant a massive amount. Anyway, I won't go on about that. You I've got a sermon to preach. Um, another one, another one. Here we go. I've got two teddy bears. Two teddy bears. I'm not going to tell you about one. Which, who, thinks, who thinks this means a lot to me? Who thinks this one means a lot to me? You are just geniuses this morning. Uh, this teddy bear is, is my old teddy bear from when I was very little. Look, it's even got um, a name label on the back from when I went to uh, boarding school um, at the age of eight. Um, and, um, and, and I took it with me. Thankfully, uh, it's still there. No one stole it. Um, thank, thank you. Um, uh, name labels. And then the last ones, <sighs> photos. I've got two photos here. They're going to appear on the screen. Um, I've got one photo, uh, there it is, of my first car. Ah. Oh. 1978 Toyota Corolla, absolutely bomb-proof. Um, I, I love it still. Um, another one is of, of Liz on a picture taken when, when on our first date. Um, I'm not going to make you vote. They both mean... <laughs> Needless to say, they mean a lot to me. Um, obviously, Liz means more. Yes, good. Uh, let's just clear that one up. Uh, listen, our, the beginning of our passage opens with the disciples burying Jesus they love him. But it's interesting, isn't it? They truly believed it was the end. Matthew says they placed Jesus' body in a tomb. They rolled a massive stone away against the entrance and walked away. The teacher they loved, the teacher who did so many miraculous things, made so many incredible claims, was dead. And for them, it was over. There was no coming back. He meant the world to them. He meant a lot. The world to them. From all he taught and done, they really put their hope in him to be the way to God. They'd seen him perform miracles, healed the cripple, the diseased, the blind, the demon-possessed. He'd even raised Lazarus, his friend, from the dead. They'd heard everything he taught about God, and he taught like someone who was the leading authority on things of God. But he lived it as well. So totally authoritative, so totally powerful, weighty, genuine was he that people who met him could not stop talking about him. For three years, Jesus taught 
and shared his life. He healed and loved. And in those three years, here's another miracle, there was no let up. He carried on for three years and there was no slip up. No bad word, no inappropriate aside. He laughed, he healed, he taught, and in those three years, tens of thousands of people came from all over the country to see for themselves who he was. And they all went away amazed. Either amazed and fearful like his enemies or amazed and absolutely in awe and in love like his disciples. Jesus was truly someone who was so unique, so different from every other teacher or rabbi or guru or prophet or imam. People genuinely put their hope in a relationship with God through him. Over those three years, Jesus came to mean the absolute world to those disciples so much they trusted him for eternal life. They didn't trust what he taught. They didn't trust in his miracles. They trusted in him personally. They thought he was God. So as they buried Jesus, it was clear there was a hopeless situation. There was no way for them to come back to God. That's why they were behaving as though this was the end. And yet as they buried Jesus, they didn't realize that he had to die. They didn't realize that as he hung on the cross, he was choosing death so that he might save us from God's wrath at our sin. And even in their misunderstanding, there's a sense in which their grief summarizes the heart of all true believers. Because every person who knows Jesus loves him personally. Everybody who knows Jesus personally says he means the world to me. Way more than cars or jumpers. Jesus is precious. He's God the Son. Come into this world to bring us into a relationship with God. And today we know that he did that through his death, but those disciples didn't. As they wept at the loss of Jesus, they showed he meant everything to them. And, you know, yes, Christians today, we see the bigger picture, don't we? We see that Jesus had to die. And yet we still weep at the cross. And we've been doing that over the last few weeks and on Sunday mornings as we, uh, and, and also um, um, on our, um, our weekly devotionals, we've been reading about how Jesus died and rose again. But we weep at the cross because, not, not because hope is lost, but because we see what it cost Jesus to forgive us our sin and to bring us to God. He means everything to us. And in that sense, if you want hope, that certainty that you know God personally and, and intimately, then God, uh, Jesus has got to mean a lot to you. He's got to mean the world to you. And, you know, you, you get to know him. The, the wonderful thing about being a Christian is that uh, being a Christian is having a relationship with Jesus. And, and you, you have a relationship with someone by 
talking to them, by, by reading about them, by, by learning about them, by knowing them more. And you see their impact on your life. And you know, that whole process is what being a Christian is about. It's a relationship with the person who means everything to you. And as you enter into that relationship, he means more and more and more and more and more to us. Having certainty says that Jesus must mean the world to us, a lot to us. And have you spotted the contrast in in those opening two sections of the passage we've just read? There's a contrast between the disciples and the Pharisees as Jesus was taken down from the cross. The disciples buried Jesus thinking that was the end. They walked away. But it's ironic, isn't it, that the Pharisees who mocked Jesus and hated him they remembered that Jesus promised he would rise again. And they were so scared of him upsetting their worldview that they set a guard over his tomb. It's funny to think that keeping Jesus in the tomb meant more to them than his promise that he would rise again. But let's move on. The second thing that we have hope because of is when the resurrection is a new beginning, when the resurrection is a new beginning. You know, on that first Easter Sunday, a guard was set to guard the tomb, and through Friday night and all of Saturday, things were quiet. And then Sunday came. Early Sunday morning, this happens in verse 2 of chapter 28. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel came from God, arrived with an earthquake, terrified the guards, went to the tomb and rolled the stone away and sat on it. So the angel was sitting there and the women arrived and he said to them in verse 5, do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He's not here. He is risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. It's clear that the women were terrified They didn't understand what was going on. And the angel reassures them at first. He says, girls, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Then he tells them what's happened. His job is particularly specific. He's to show them that Jesus is risen. That's why he rolls the the stone away. That's why he terrifies the guards so the, the, the women can see that there is no body in that tomb. Jesus, who once was dead, who was crucified, is now alive. And this is the important thing that Matthew wants us to see. Jesus' death and resurrection is actually a glorious new beginning, not a happy ending. Now, that's important. Why? Because our culture today is full of superhero films. Now, now, look, I'm not having anything about superhero films. I love them. I'm a dad of three boys. I get the mick taken out of me every time a new Marvel film comes out. I want to go see it. They're brilliant films. But generally, and and I'm being very, very specific here because I don't want to ruin the plot to all of them, but generally what happens is the superhero comes, there's a bit of a love interest, there's a massive baddie, the baddie somehow overcomes the superhero, the superhero either is so defeated that everybody thinks he's dead or he actually is dead, and then the superhero comes back to life and they all live happily ever after. Wow. Oh, plotline destroying. But here's the interesting difference 
They're really moving plot lines, aren't they? They're really moving stories. But all that happens in those stories is that the end goes back to how it was at the beginning. So the world is saved from an extinction event or whatever, and the, baddies, the, the, the robbers and, and, and murderers and bad people continue to be bad afterwards, and the good people, the nice people, continue to be nice afterwards. There is no change. But Jesus says, this is a new beginning. 2,000 years ago, the world had a new beginning. How do we know this? Well, let me read to you what the angel says in verse 7. The angel said to the woman, go quickly and tell his disciples, he has risen from the dead and he's going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. So the message is, Jesus is alive. Stop hanging around here. Go and tell the other disciples about this news and meet him in Galilee. Now, if you read through Matthew's book, you'll realize that places are important to Matthew. And Galilee is where the, the place where Jesus did his miracles, his teaching, where he was accepted and loved and greeted and adored, and, and so much so that Mark records that people nearly crushed him to, dead, de- to death. So, so, so desperate were they to, get, to touch him, to be with him. Jerusalem, though, is the place where he was rejected and mocked. That's the difference in Matthew. So the message is, go back to the place where the message was received. Go back to the place where, where, where that, that, that good news, that joy was spreading. In other words, the story hasn't ended. There's a new chapter, a new beginning that they needed to be part of in order to see the bigger picture of what God was doing in the world. And the world has changed forever, hasn't it? A new mission has come. A new relationship with God is for everybody who believes and trusts in Jesus. And a new ministry for everyone who comes to be part of Jesus' kingdom. When Jesus dies for us, when we accept that his death was for us personally and that his resurrection was for us personally too, he gives us new life, a new hope, a new beginning. And that's the point of the message that the angel gives to the woman. It's re-emphasized by Jesus himself. Look at verse 8 and 9 with me. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. So the women hurried away from the tomb. They're afraid and yet they're filled with massive joy. The despair that once had gripped them was gone and replaced by hope and a great truth. Jesus is risen. And if that was not enough, suddenly Jesus appears physically with feet and everything in front of them. And they, 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 they bow before him and grasp his feet and worship him. Matthew wants us to know this is a physical resurrection. They really physically saw him and touched him themselves. But more importantly... Jesus repeats that message. Go to Galilee. It's a new beginning. And here's the thing about all that Matthew records in this section. He wants us to see that this is not just a made-up story. This is not just a happily ever after. 
This is real and a new beginning. And do you know Jesus invites us into that story? He wants us to realize that a world without him is full of despair and hopelessness. Why? Because without him, we have to stand before God on judgment day by ourselves. With, with, with no one to represent us, no one to say, I've been here before and I've won. I've been here before and I've paid the price, don't panic. Without Jesus, there's no one to save us from our sin. There's no one to forgive us of our sin. There's no one to bring us into relationship with God. But Jesus also wants to realize that his resurrection is this new beginning for all who trust in him. And the the offer is simple. Trust in him. Believe that he has forgiven us. And you know, as you do, you will have hope. You will understand the hope that those women knew, the hope that the disciples knew as they received the news, as the hope that all Christians here today know as they have received the news that Jesus is alive and has forgiven us our sin and leads us into a new beginning both now, today, but also when he returns again. A new beginning in a new creation, seeing him face to face. But that leads us to our last point. How do we respond? How do we respond? Well, we've heard so far that we have a new hope. We have a hope when Jesus means so much to us. And the resurrection brings us hope because it's a new beginning. So how do we respond? Well, Matthew tells us about two groups of people who hurried from the tomb that morning. Let me read verse 11 to you. While the women were on their way, some of the guards went into the city and reported to the chief priests everything that had happened. It's interesting, isn't it, that Matthew mentions the women and the guards in the same sentence. And he does that because he wants us to see the contrast Most of the sentence is about the soldiers. They go to Jerusalem, as I said earlier, the place where Jesus was killed and rejected, and they told the chief priests, his enemies, what had happened at the tomb. And their story leads to lies and fear and bribery and confusion. But the sentence starts by mentioning the women. They were hurrying from the tomb with a message of victory. And an invitation, come and meet me, come and meet me, come to Galilee and meet me. Their story led to truth and hope and joy and a never stopping growing kingdom. It's a massive contrast, isn't it? And it challenges us to think how we will respond to the message of the empty tomb. In other words, Matthew's question is this, Where will our story end? I wonder whether you might want to find out more about this hope and truth that Matthew records here, because it's not just for these women. It's not just for the disciples. It's also for us. You see, the ultimate invitation of this passage is to believe and trust in the risen Lord Jesus ourselves and to receive and live that hope. And not only that, but to understand a relationship with Jesus gives us purpose and meaning 
today. It gives us a relationship with God today that becomes our anchor to our lives. And he invites us to join his kingdom and the mission that he started 2,000 years ago on that first Easter morning. There's a gospel on your chair, as well as a short explanation of what we've been looking at this morning called The Real Easter. And if you'd like to take that home with you and read it for yourself, please do that, please do that. You might be a Christian and say, oh, do you know what, I just need to do that again because I feel so far from God right now for whatever reason. Do that, take that real Easter away and read it. Or it might be that you are far from God, you don't know God personally, you don't know a personal relationship with Jesus. Take that real Easter and read it and, 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 and enjoy, just revel in the good news that Jesus is alive today and he invites us into his mission. And for those of us who are Christians listening this morning, do you know, I pray that as we've looked at this resurrection this morning, that we are reminded of who we are. We've lived in the past year under a huge shadow of a pandemic. But, but this story invites us to rekindle the great hope that trusting in Jesus brings and to make it big once more in our worldview. Let's remember this morning, Jesus is risen and it's good news. It means he has the power to forgive sin as we uh, listened to earlier. He has the authority to give us the spirit and fullness of life in the spirit. He has the authority to give us true fellowship with believers. And he gives us a great message to share with this world and a certainty of eternal life. Well, if you're a Christian here this morning, brothers and sisters, let's live it, that certainty, that hope. And this Easter, let's remind us again of his power in that hope, power over sin, power over death. And let's rejoice how free we are to truly hope because Jesus has risen from the dead. Hallelujah.